right, so tonight, well, it's not like tonight, this afternoon, this afternoon, <laughs> we'll be discussing a little bit more about, you know, it's somewhat tied to the message this morning. We talked about Christ coming to give us freedom um, in his own way, not in our way necessarily, but his own way, which is far more important and has far more implications and is far more universe encompassing than we like to, well, not necessarily like to, but that we normally think about. Um, but, you know, we talked about how he comes to set us free. Um, he came to deliver us from sin, from death, and the devil. I mentioned that during the message. And we're going to take some time and just kind of look at those, to piece that, piece that to tear that apart into pieces. Um, and just see what it is that the Lord has done for us that we had nothing to do with. I mean, that's the important thing for us to understand here is that these are things that we had nothing to do with. You know, we need to get away from thinking about that your prayer saved you, that your faith saved you. No, God saved you. He's the one who has authority over sin. He is the one with authority over your condemnation. You do not have authority over your condemnation. Faith does not have authority over your condemnation. God does. And he expressed his authority over that when he sent Jesus Christ down to suffer, bleed, and die for our sins and raise up and ascend on high and is now seated on the right hand of the Father. We need to get this down, that there is nothing except for God who has authority over you, over your sin. That's, I mean, that's the primary teaching behind the sovereignty of God. We like to think of God as a sovereign God. He is sovereign over all things. His sovereignty is not simply in terms of election. His sovereignty is over everything. His sovereignty is over sin, death, hell, your life, your death, your justification, your condemnation. Everything that goes on in this universe is under the sovereign hand of God. You do not have authority over you. You do not have authority over your sins. You know, we need to get rid of this. When we pray, we're not claiming authority over our sin. We are beseeching the one who does. We are not, you know, we, the more we get involved in church and ministry and all those types of things, that is not giving us more authority over the spiritual reality. It is simply serving the one who does. Worshiping the one who does. When we seek God, we are seeking the sovereign of the universe. We are seeking him. When we pray, we are, dis we are discoursing with the one who is in authority over all things. And we need to free ourselves from the burden of being sovereign over our own lives. Because that's where we get into trouble, isn't it? When we try to claim power over ourselves. When we claim power over our situation. When we claim power over our family and over all of these things, that's when we get into trouble, when we are claiming a bit of that sovereignty. No, we need to go before the one who is the one who has sovereignty over all these things, who is in control, who has the right to forgive you of your sins because Jesus died. We, this is what we need to understand. This, from. This, is, this is essentially the beginning of our freedom. When we are free, it is not free to do as we please, it is the freedom to come before the one who can do as he please, is, pleases. <laughs> um, so, 
and, it, and it's something that we can talk and talk and talk and talk about. But let's get into this. So he came. What, so some of the freedom that he came to bring us is slavery. He gave us gives us freedom over the slavery to sin. Sin is a slave master. We talked about slavery a little bit in Sunday school. Slavery is sin is a harsh slave master that does not care about you. It does not care about your welfare. It has no interest in keeping the promise that it makes that it will please you, that it will sustain you, that it will satisfy you. It has no interest in keeping that promise. It doesn't need to. You have nothing over it. You don't have any claim by which you can say, Sin, you, you said you were going to please me if I gave in to you. Here's my surety that you have to now come and, 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 say, and give me what you promised. We have no surety over sin. It, doesn't, it can do what it wants. It doesn't have to submit to us. It doesn't have to please us. It is our slave master. The slave has no rights over its master. No rights whatsoever. The master can do what it wants, ravage what it wants. And we have no, there's nothing we can say about it. We can't say, no, sin, you, you're not condemning me. You're not condemning me. Only Jesus can say that. Because Jesus is the strong man who came to your house, cast out the stronger man, the strong man, and became the stronger man. Because only a stronger man, Jesus says, can cast out the strong man. And we are not stronger than our sin. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who comes and casts out your sin. He is the one who puts it in submission and turns it into a slave rather than you, freeing you from its slavery. So when Jesus came, he came to free us from sin, to release us from its bondage. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For he made him who knew no sin, okay, so that Jesus was never under slavery to sin. Jesus was never bound by it. Why? Because he is the stronger man. He is the stronger one who came and cast it out. If he had sinned, then he would not have been the stronger man who could cast out sin. Because if Jesus had submitted to sin, then he would have shown that he was weaker than it. That sin had the right to be Jesus' slave master, but that did not happen. And because Jesus is the stronger man who never once submitted to sin, like a slave submits to its slave master. For he made him who knew no sin. But what? He made him to be sin for us. He is the stronger man. But in that moment on the cross, he took all of our sin upon us. He didn't have to. He's stronger than it. He has every right over it. He's sovereign. Okay? He doesn't have to submit to the sting of death. He didn't have to feel the suffering of death because of sin. He didn't have to because he's sovereign. He's the stronger one. Sin had no rights to do what it did to Jesus on the cross. But what does it say? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? For us. Because we are weaker than sin. We are in bondage to sin. It's just the way we are. We are hopeless. 
we are weak. You're helpless apart from Christ. And because God loves you, not because you were worthy of love, but simply because he is love and he loves you, he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that, so here's the flip side. Here's what it was accomplished by this. So that we, you and I, who are the weaker ones, who have no rights to sovereignty over anything, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we might become something that we have no right to become. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We became righteous. Now, sin had no rights over Jesus Christ. Sin had no rights over him. He's God. And we have no rights to righteousness. We have no rights to it because we've been slave to sin. We are his, we're, sin's our slave master. That's it. We have no rights to righteousness because that's not our, that's not our life. We have no rights to it. But because of what Jesus did, we now become the righteousness of God. Think about that. How righteous is God? It's not the righteousness of some righteous person that you can think of. We look up to these various individuals around the world or in our own family or whatnot. Man, if I could just be like him. But we don't need to dream about the day that we can be like him or her. Why? Because we have become the righteousness of God. God. We are just as righteous as God. That sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds like blasphemy. That I am righteous just like God. Doesn't sound like it should be so. And it shouldn't sound like it should be so, because it shouldn't be so. <laughs> it shouldn't be so. The only reason it is so is because God chose for it to be so. Because he loves you. Because he looked at you with compassion. And said, the only way that this person could ever enter into my kingdom is if he was as righteous as me. That should humble us. That we are righteous like God. Is that something that you did? I mean, that alone should dispel any thought that what I'm doing here in this miserable little universe is making me righteous. Because we know, even though we might take pride in the things that we do, we know we still, even, even a fool has the sense that I'm not righteous like God because of the things that I'm doing. I'm not God. Even a fool knows that. This should dispel any thought that the things that you're doing are making you righteous. Because right here, the Bible says, you are righteous just like God. Even a fool can understand that that's not because of what I'm doing. I may be a proud person. I may be, take pride in the good things that I do. But I still know that that's not going to make me like God. It might make me better. According, I'm speaking according to the flesh. He might make me better, but it's never going to make me like God. But we know because of this that we have the righteousness of God. That pure brightness of righteousness is in each and every one of us who is a child of God. 
Let that purge any thought in your head that what you're doing is making you better in the eyes of God. It's a fool remark. God loves me more today because X. God loves me more today X. We feel like that, right? I had a really bad day, so God's mad at me. Can God be mad at himself? You have the righteousness of God. Why would he be mad at you? Why would he turn his face against you? It would be like turning his face against himself. He already did that on the cross so that you could have his continual pleasure. So he frees us from sin. Jesus frees us from sin so that we are wholly pure, just like God is pure. What else did he come to free us from? He came to free us from the slavery to death by giving you his life. John eleven twenty five, Jesus himself says, this is right after he raised, raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he asks the question right after this, do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He is the one who defeats death. He showed it in a, in a physical way when Lazarus, who was a man, dead, stinking in a grave, was given the breath of life again as an adult and risen to life again. He resurrected him. But then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I bring you to life because you were dead before, and I give you my living. My living. So he is life from death, and he is the living that follows. And he goes on to say, he who believes in me will live. Not he who does X, Y, and Z. Not he who keeps the law perfectly. Jesus did that so you don't have to. Okay? He who believes in me will live, even though he might die. Okay? So now this is talking about eternal life. We're all going to die one day. This body is going to die. It's going to wear out. It's supposed to. It was never designed to stay alive forever. And that should be a beautiful thing in a way. Because the, God delights in the death of his saints. Does he not? He delights in it. So should we not delight in our own upcoming death? Because when we die, we will live. When we die, we will then see what real, the real substantial life that Christ died to give us looks like. See, he didn't save us to give us life that's just so we can start keep living this miserable existence on this planet with all of our sicknesses, our sadnesses, our weaknesses. You know, our bodies were always created to... Um, get weak, to be feeble. They weren't created to be able to sustain everything forever. Part of the reason for that is because God wants us to look forward to the life that God bought for us. He doesn't want us to get ensnared, you see, slavery, to the life that is going to be gone. You know, 
we spend our we spend the whole week. You know how depressing is it? We spend the whole week working to get some money, only to lose it all because of bills. You know, bills come and they take everything that we just made. You know, everything we do in this life is going to be gone. Every single little thing of it. It's all going to be poof, no longer there. All the money you made, all the influence you had, even the most famous of people, they might be in a history book, but they're never really appreciated like they wish they would be. You know, poof, once you're dead, you're gone. You know, the pro- what is it, the Proverbs that say even the memory of a man only lasts for a generation or two? <laughs> I think Solomon said that. I don't remember what book he said that in. You know, and that might be depressing to some of us, but that's the way God made it for a reason. Because we're not supposed to get super excited about this life that will pass. We're supposed to be getting excited about the life that's coming. So the closer we get to death, the more excited we are. Man, now I get to go, I'm closer and closer to to getting into that pure 100% life that Jesus died to buy me. I'm, I'm, I'm this much closer to the gift that God bought for me. Just like a child anticipating his birthday. We should be anticipating our death day. Because that's when we get our gift. That's when we get our gift. The day that we die. That's when the fullness of the gift comes. Right now we're living in Christmas Eve. You know, we have a tradition. Our kids can open a present on Christmas Eve. You know, and we get to experience a present here while we live. Forgiveness of sins, God's transformative power in our lives. But it's not Christmas yet. It's just Christmas Eve. This is just the introduction. No, Christmas is coming tomorrow when we die. And that's when you get the fullness of what your parents have bought you. That's when you get the fullness of what your father has bought you. When you die, you get the fullness of his gift that he paid, gave his life to buy for you. That should be something that's exciting to us. I'm about to get my gift. That God himself bought for me. And I want to go see that. I want to go have it. I want to unwrap that by casting off my flesh so that I can go and have it now. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's the promise. We get the real life later. Right now we get a little bit of that. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you believe this, then death will be exciting to you. The carnal mind lives for this stuff. The carnal mind lives for this day and age. The carnal mind does not get excited about the day we'll die. The carnal mind looks at death as the end. Because it views this life as the substance that we're supposed to be living for. But if you're excited about death, that's when you know the sincerity of your faith. Because that's when you get your present. That's when you get the real thing. Death is when you get the real thing. Carnal mind says this is the real thing. Spiritual mind says that's the real thing. So you have to determine what's, what, is, what are you looking at? Are you looking at this thing or that thing? What present are you excited about? He gives us good things in this life, but the best thing is coming. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die again. Do you believe this? So that's why he, he delivers us from our slavery to ultimate death. The death that we die, that when we die, it is the end of anything good. <laughs> anything remotely resembling good. 
we now have something to look forward to at death. Because the sting of death has been defeated. The sting of death has been go- is gone. It's no, it no longer looks like a painful thing. It doesn't look like a sorrowful thing anymore. He releases us from slavery to death by giving you his life. A life that we get to experience some of now, but we'll get to experience in fullness later. And the last thing I mentioned, he came to free you from the dominion of Satan. Okay? By rescuing you from Satan and giving you God's kingdom. Okay? In Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you and share, to share in the inheritance of the saints, in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So why do we give thanks to the Father? I mean, look at this. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints? This is another thing that sounds like blasphemy, that I'm qualified to live in God's kingdom. I deserve it. I deserve to be in God's kingdom. Not because of what I did, but because of what Christ gave me. Because he gave me his righteousness, I now deserve it. It's not my righteousness. It's only my righteousness because it was given to me as a gift. But I didn't pay for it. I didn't purchase it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. But because God gave us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we now deserve to share in the inheritance of the saints. Where? In the kingdom of light. Why? Because he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He rescued us. He threw us the lifeline and brought us in, rescuing us from this dark kingdom. You know, a lot of people still to this day, but it was even more important back in, back in the day, but even to this day, we still have a lot of people immigrating to the United States because they think that it's a safe place compared to where they're coming from. A place of freedom place of possibilities. Where they're coming from has no freedom, has no possibilities. They're oppressed by a harsh government. So they come here because we resound freedom, peace, stability, progress, possibilities. Do what you want. Achieve what you want. Where they were coming from, then that was possible. In an even better sense, in an even more true sense, we are in a kingdom of darkness with a harsh oppressor, Satan. I mean, his name means oppressor. I can't remember if that's the term for devil or for Satan. I can't remember. But one of those means oppressor. (laughs) He is an oppressive, not impressive, an oppressive master, an oppressive king. But he's our king as long as we remain in our sin. That's the king we submit to. That's the king we must serve. He's the one who rules over us in this kingdom of darkness, this dominion of darkness. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has given us the ticket out of there so that we can come into the kingdom of light, a kingdom of true freedom, a kingdom where we get to stand before God in righteousness, in perfection, without the oppression of Satan. What does Jesus tell us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? 
Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God delivers us from Satan, the evil one. We don't have to walk in his ways any longer. When we are in his kingdom, we have to walk in his ways. Everything we do in one way or another is carnal, empty, worthless. It'll die when we die. But when we live in the kingdom of light, everything that we dwell in is in pursuit of that light that will endure forever. That's where the eternal riches come into play. For those things done in faith, they last forever. Lay up for yourselves, therefore, treasures in heaven. They will not get corrupted. Nobody's going to steal it away. Put your heart up there, in the kingdom of light. Not in this kingdom of darkness. Why? Because Jesus has freed us from the dominion of Satan. And he's rescued you from it. From the oppression that lives there. And since he has set you free, you shall be free indeed, is it not said in Scripture? And we can rejoice in these things, this freedom that Christ has given us. We can, these things should lead us to rejoice. And it all starts with the righteousness that we don't deserve, that's given to us, that makes everything else possible, that makes us actually the rightful heirs of everything else that we don't deserve. You know? We are rightful heirs because we are in God's kingdom. Because we are God's children. Because we have God's righteousness. Because we have everlasting life and that will never die. That makes us worthy of all the other blessings of God. I mean, in the Old Testament, the law was based off of blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Jesus defeated the sting of death of the curse. He wiped out the curse. And now we are treated as though it is just obedience. And now, the blessing is all we have. The curse is gone. Because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law, therefore, receiving the blessing, according to Old Testament law, defeated the disobedience, which would bring the curse. So the disobedience is gone, therefore the curse is gone, and here we remain in the blessing. We cannot be cursed because God took away the curse of disobedience in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are righteous just like God. We are righteous just like we had never done anything wrong. And then it goes, you know, we are righteous just like God. Therefore, the only thing that is reserved for us is blessing. That's it. Blessing. So you can go forth in confidence knowing everything that happens in this life is in one way supposed to result in blessing, in good, in delight, in light. It may not look like that in the moment, but knowing that you are the righteousness of God, you can have confidence in the fact that God will therefore treat you like those who walk according to righteousness. Even though you know you fail, even though you know you're weak, you still feel like you deserve all of the curses. Sometimes we feel like we're under a curse. But because we know, because of Scripture, that we have God's righteousness, we are righteous because of Christ. Just like God. Everything in our life is in one way or another blessing. Sometimes it doesn't look like that. But it is. Because it has to be. Because the curse is gone. God will not curse you. He only blesses you. You know, just think of it this way. When we chastise or discipline our children, are we cursing them? No, we are blessing them by help giving them what they need 
to grow up. Discipline is blessing. Everything is blessing for those who walk in the kingdom of light. Everything. And we have to be confident in that or we will be defeated. Because life is hard. It is. You already know it. That's why I have to end this, because some of you are already falling asleep because life's hard. <laughs> and you're tired. <laughs> so I have to end. But just take confidence in this, that you walk in the blessing of God's kingdom, not the curse. You have to be confident in that. Otherwise, there's nothing to look forward to. I mean, there is. You're just not looking forward to it, because you're defeated by the depression that weighs on you because things are hard. Those are blessings. Everything is blessing. Why? Because you are righteous just like God. Remember that. We're going to have communion here. So um, let me get this stuff out of the way. Let's move this over here. And